Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. Sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe with my friend and co-host, Tom Dorian. Tom, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Deacon Jeff? You know what? I'm doing just fantastic. You look fantastic. Tom, so we have a wonderful show today. We do, I know. Our guest is uh, Andy McNutt. Some, you ever heard of Andy? Somewhat, oh, yeah. He's somewhat of a star. Yeah, he's a rock star. He's, he's a been, movie star. He has been on EWTN's The Journey Home with Correct. Marcus Grodin. Yes, my, one of my favorite shows. We're lucky to have him here with us. We are. We need to get uh, Tandy to introduce herself to him. That's our waitress for the day and and uh, get him his favorite beverage. We want to invite him over to the table. And, uh, of course, while he's on his way over here, we'll he's, mention that, uh, that... He's signing autographs. That's right. He's famous. Andy is a, a recent convert to the Catholic faith, recent as far as, I guess, 2002. That's pretty recent. I think that's recent. In terms of church history, 2,000-year-old church, that's just like <laughs> yesterday. Yes. And, of course, he is a, a former Southern Baptist preacher. Wow. So we're going to find out really what his story is all about and why he decided to become Catholic. Thanks. And here he is. Uh, we have Andy McNutt here. Andy, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you. This is uh, really nice. Right. You want something to drink? we got Tandy here who's ready to take your order. Yeah, i tell you what, Tandy, I would love some coffee, uh, two creams and uh, no sugar. Well, wonderful. So, Andy, the first thing that's probably going to intrigue some of our listeners is the fact that you're a Catholic convert. Uh, and that you were a former Southern Baptist preacher. Can you tell us a little bit about you know your story? Why you chose the Catholic Church? How you know what was your history like? What made me decide to to even look at the Catholic Church was the fact that my mother and father in law became Catholic a month before I married their daughter, and so I was forced to to start dealing with Catholicism. I'd heard of it. You know, I'm only in a historical sense that uh, there is the Catholic Church and. You're not a Catholic because you're a Protestant, and the Catholics are obviously wrong. Watching them get confirmed and sitting in the back of the church with my arms crossed, just shaking my head, thinking, oh, well, they're going to hell now. <laughs> and, and really not knowing what I was going to do because, I, like I said, I never really dealt with Catholicism before and never really even thought about it. it was just another group that was out there. But I made a pact to myself that I was going to do everything I could to get them out. Oh, you were gonna you were gonna save them. You were oh, gonna absolutely. pull them from the Catholic Church into a better version of Christianity, if you will. So, tell us about your your Southern Baptist belief system. I mean, were you a? I mean, obviously, if you're a pastor or a, a preacher, mm-hmm. you were you were a good Baptist. You were a good Southern Baptist. You knew your Southern stuff. Baptist. knew knew all my Southern Baptist stuff. Absolutely. Was being Southern Baptist enough for you? Why would you even consider thinking anything else at the time? Well, at the time that. My in-laws came into the church. I certainly wouldn't consider anything else. I was in a group of Southern Baptists that was, we were trying to be more historic than the other Southern Baptists, the modern Southern Baptists. We felt that the theological traditions of the Southern Baptists had had become very short-sighted. And so we were trying to pull them back to Baptist roots. And so, you know, was I a good Baptist? I thought I was a very good Baptist. So for you, I guess you're perfectly happy as a Southern Baptist you know, you're content. What was it that sort of started to make you at least challenge some of those earlier beliefs and understandings about what the Catholic Church was all about? Well, it was in, in doing my research in order to uh, prove the Catholic Church wrong. I had to know what the Catholic Church taught. And so I got myself a copy of the Catechism and proceeded to mark it up with all the errors that I was going to find. 
And the more I read and the more scripture references that I looked up and the more historical references and, and cross-references. And when you're talking about historical references, what would you be referring to? The church fathers? Is that what you're talking about? Well, church fathers, but also just history. You know, one, one thing that a lot of uh, religious groups don't have is pedigree. They, don't, they can look back 40 years, 60 years, 15 years to the beginning of their sect. And Baptists had a nice couple hundred years to look back, and they could ride the coattails of the Protestant Reformation four or five hundred years, but you didn't see a whole lot of you didn't see any Baptists prior to that. You couldn't see anybody teaching or even talking about people that believed that way prior to five hundred years. So yeah, that was that was like an eye opener for myself. Yeah. You know, I remember because I had I was born and raised a Catholic, not a very good Catholic. Uh, but, uh, you know, I fell away from the church. I got saved. I had a born-again experience with a non-denominational evangelical church. And then I set out to prove my wife wrong, who was a lifelong Catholic, and she wasn't budging. She was the rock in our family. Mm. So I said, well, I'll start reading some of these early church fathers and see what that's all about. Mm. Uh, you know, and so I started reading and finding out that none of them were of the denomination I had just become or the, the non-denomination I had just become. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all were Catholic. I've got a big book at the house, uh, the Handbook of Denominations. And any group in the United States that has more than 50 members is in this book. And it'll tell you their origins. And you, you just, I, the more that I looked back in history, I couldn't find any of these guys, none of them, except for a, a lot of people talking about bishops and Eucharist and Mary. And as well, it sounds like those Catholics... Let's flip to some other pages. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you start seeing all of these different historical texts. Mm-hmm. You start really delving into the scripture from viewing it through a Catholic lens when you're reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And you start to read about the actual documents of the church generated by the magisterium of the church. And you're starting to read the actual teachings of the church and realizing, well, maybe all the stuff that you were that you were told is not exactly entirely true about the Catholic Church. I mean, at that point, how did that make you feel? Did that make you feel like you were wanting or that you were still uh, incomplete, as it were? Yeah, I did feel incomplete. Uh, The more that I read about, especially in the writings of the Church Fathers, the more I saw a visible structure and the necessity of a a visible structure of leadership and authority, which is something that, that as a Southern Baptist pastor, I didn't have. Now, I was the visible leadership of my congregation, as a minister, but the congregation, if they didn't like me, they could vote me out because the congregation had all the authority. Well, speaking of authority, how did you view the authority as it related to the Southern Baptist Church? I mean, was it unified or, or did you see a lot of disagreement and disparity? Not necessarily. I mean, there there would be there's voluntary cooperation and a lot of these groups and Southern Baptists were one of them, but there was no such thing as the Southern Baptist Church. There are Southern Baptist churches. And they all cooperate. They share their money for missions work and things like that. And, and that's true in a lot of Protestant groups, that they, they they voluntarily cooperate. But when push comes to shove, they don't have to agree with one another, maybe on some basic tenets. And there have been plenty of faith documents put out like that. But when it comes down to it, it's up to that individual, not even just the congregation, but that individual, whether or not they believe those things. But even those faith documents tend to be a, you know, a summary or a confession of beliefs, not so much a mandate or an authority of any sort. Right. No, there, there wasn't really a whole lot of weight behind those. And, and as a leader, that I, I was seeing a problem with that. I started to see a need for authority fast. And I was also seeing, that as I re- especially as I look back at the history, 
I didn't find anybody that would hold to those statements of faith, those beliefs. I mean, there are things that, that are universally true of all Christians, I believe. And yeah, we see those things. But what about these other things I read about in history? What about bishops? What about this Pope guy? What about uh, these beliefs about the, about the Virgin Mary or, or the Eucharist in particular? And I couldn't find any other groups that matched up with this early church I was studying. Well, so, you know, obviously being a Baptist pastor and just the name pastor means that you've got a flock. It means you've got people that are that, that are in your care. So obviously this journey of yours as you start to seek this true church, mm-hmm. it doesn't involve just you. You've, you've got the, the welfare, the spiritual welfare of a lot of people kind of hanging in the balance here. I mean, how'd that affect you or how'd you deal with that? Uh, I, I felt like I was living two lives because... Uh, I was working on a staff. I was actually an associate pastor. And so everything that I did, whether I was teaching youth or teaching adults, everything I taught, everything I was going to say had to go through his office. So I'm obviously not going to be teaching any Catholic stuff. But and maybe you didn't even know if you totally believed it at that point. I mean, No, but I'm not going to bring a Catholic book into my office. Right. You know, All that mm-hmm. Catholic stuff has to stay at home where I can look at it because, man, if I was wrong and someone saw some Catholic book, I'm not going to stake my career on a hunch or "Eh, maybe Mm -hmm. this is right. I was very careful, uh, one, not to let anyone know what I was trying to discover. I kept all that to myself. And then uh, as far as what I taught, I made very sure not to contradict anything of my my church's beliefs. Uh, Just not to cause a scandal and, and also just out of respect for the ministry that I was trying to do. I didn't be I felt that I needed to be faithful to where I was. But still you still got this sort of incomplete feeling. You you know that there's something missing and you're going to have to you're going to have to figure that out uh, in fairly short order. So we have much more to hear from Andy and his story uh, in just a moment. But first I want to remind everyone about our website at www.thecatholiccafe.com. Tom, and why do we have to put the word the in front of it? Because if you don't, you will end up at a singles website. Yeah, a Catholic dating service at Catholic right. Cafe. So right. it's thecatholiccafe.com. And there you can find a wealth of information, including MP3s of this and other shows. We have podcasting, and we also have lots of links to other great Catholic resources on the web. And also, I'd love to hear from you. So I want you to send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Just imagine what it would have been like to sit at the feet of one of the twelve and hear the gospel proclaimed firsthand from someone who saw, touched, walked, and talked with the Lord Jesus himself. This is just what St. Polycarp did as a student of St. John, the last of the beloved apostles to die. St. Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna and a very holy man. As a member of the second generation of church leaders, he faced many new challenges, challenges even the original 12 apostles did not face. There were many early heresies, challenges to the truth of Christ and the authority of the church. But above all, St. Polycarp was a man of God, and he faced these challenges head-on his entire life. He was a beacon of truth for the early church, 
the heretic Marcion, who taught error about the nature, existence, and relationship of good and evil, matter and spirit, challenged St. Polycarp, demanding he recognize his heretical sect. Recognize us, Polycarp, he demanded. St. Polycarp responded, I recognize you, yes, I recognize the son of Satan. St. Polycarp was to give his life in service to the Church, just as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A very early document, The Martyrdom of Polycarp, tells the heroic story of his death. When in his 80s, St. Polycarp was arrested, he was offered the opportunity to save his own life if he would simply swear his allegiance to Caesar. To this request, St. Polycarp answered, If you imagine that I will swear by Caesar, you do not know who I am. Let me tell you plainly, I am a Christian. It was ordered that St. Polycarp be burned at the stake. As the fire was lit, witnesses heard a long and beautiful prayer uttered from the mouth of the saint. In part, they heard, Lord God Almighty, I bless you for having made me worthy of this day and this hour. I bless you because I may have a part, along with the martyrs, in the chalice of your Christ. As St. Polycarp said amen, his captors stoked the fire. But it is reported that the fire did not burn him. It miraculously formed an arch around him, causing him to resemble what the martyrdom document says was gold and silver glowing in a furnace. They finally had to stab him to death. St. Polycarp's feast day is February 23rd. I'm Bester Zimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. So, Andy, let's uh, let's fast forward again back to the point where you're at your in-laws' uh, reception into full communion with the Catholic Church, and you've got your arms crossed and your head shaking side to side, <laughs> and you're thinking not so good thoughts mm. about where they are, and you're maybe even questioning their uh, their eternal destiny at this point. You know what's what's going on there. So, so. You know, if if that happened in the late 90s, 96, I think is what you had said at one point, Mm -hmm. and it was 2002 you came to the church, how much of that time did you spend... Uh, did you spend researching? I spent the whole time researching. You were <laughs> nonstop, huh? Nonstop reading. My, once my father, father and mother-in-law came into the church, they basically bought a Catholic library <laughs> and shipped it to seminary for me to read. Oh, wow. Not in order to convert me, but just so that I would have perspective on what they believed. And for me, that was great because I thought, well, there's no better way for me to get you out of your church than to know everything that you believe and have all your propaganda here, and I can just read it and rip it apart and use it against you. Well, now, not all Baptists think that way, though. Oh, but I did. Well, uh, you may have, and that's a personal pro- – and that's good. It's fine for you to be honest with us and let, let us know that. But I do want – I know we have a lot of non-Catholic listeners to the Catholic Cafe, and we welcome that. And our job here is really just to put it out there. This is what the Catholic Church teaches, mm-hmm. just to kind of explain those things. And so often – I run into folks that, like, will say something, well, you know, you worship the birthday of Mary. It's like, what are you talking about? No, we don't. (laughs) You know, and then you take a little time and explain uh, what the Immaculate Conception is, and we don't worship Mary. And you you go through these things, but you have to do that one bit at a time because a lot of people don't understand. So it was actually a nice gesture on your in-law's part. Not to be in a in conversion mode, right? but to say, look, this is what we believe. It was very good for me to have first-hand information from Catholic sources, what Catholics believed, 
which even though I wanted to get them out and I had a very personal agenda there, I, I needed to know what Catholics taught about Catholic faith, not what Baptists taught about Catholic faith or anybody else. I wanted to hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Well, yeah, and you want any kind of conversion. If there's going to be any kind of changing of anybody's mind and their heart and their soul, there's going to have to be a conversation involved. And that means two people talking at least. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to hear both sides of the story. So it can't just be about what I believe and I'm going to put that on you. It's got to be I have to understand what you believe. And then either maybe we can learn from each other, we can share. And ultimately, it's going to be a conversation. Exactly. And and we call that dialogue. Just for the... For between my father-in-law and myself, you know, the, the door was always open. And if you ever want to discuss any of these things, that's fine. But I'm not going to ask you any questions. Well, that's good. Plus, now at the same time, I understand that, you know, regardless of what, how you define all these different types of terms and experiences and and how they relate to various uh, traditions within a religious faith, mm-hmm. the two of you shared a burning love for Jesus. I mean, you you were you were Christians down to the the very root, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and, and that's the. The great thing about dialogue is that we can uncover those things and, and being able to, he wasn't, I knew he wasn't going to hell and I knew my mother-in-law wasn't going to hell, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-laws. So to be able to, to just share faith in, you know, hey, when you talk about the, the beatific vision, what are you talking about? Let them define those terms. It made their faith more real to me because I could understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. So at some point in your life. You know, in this in this journey, you decided that maybe the Catholic Church was the church that you needed to be a, a member of. And how did that come about? It was really just the overwhelming weight of the evidence. The more history that I read, the more I saw the Catholic Church and not any other churches. I could not find my body of beliefs as a Baptist anywhere prior to the Reformation. I, I might find some a person... Who held that belief, but not any church documents, not any of the people that were considered doctors of the church or any of the fathers of the church. But I did find in the writings of the fathers of the church a strong belief in the Eucharist, a strong belief in a visible uh, hierarchy, a belief in fidelity to bishops and to the priests. And, And so I had to change my perspective. But you say you didn't find any out-and-out Baptist notions. You, 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 you might have found some of those things that were shared, like Trinitarian view and understanding of God. Obviously, right. you, would, you would find those things. But perhaps the things that defined you as a Southern Baptist at the time, you may not have seen a picture of Andy McNutt you know, in the year 200 A.D. Right. I, well, I didn't see a congregational government. I didn't see uh, a symbolic view of the Eucharist. I didn't see... Um, a belief in Scripture as the sole authority. I saw the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Had you never wrestled with, with, with any kind of history before this? Was this really the first time you'd started to look? Because I know that, you know, if you ask somebody now, you know, where did your church come from? Well, Jesus started my church. Sure. Well, okay, all right, we'll all grant you that. Jesus started your church, whatever denomination you happen to be. But what happened for like the 1,500 years before the Reformation? I mean, is that just like sort of dark history that we don't talk about? It, it was. It's history that, that honestly, when I approach history, I approached with a presupposition that, that my faith tradition was correct. And so that let's look at the events of history. We don't need to worry about where the Baptists came from. It just wasn't even – it didn't enter into my mind. Hmm. It was just kind of assumed that this was just – it Baptists was a, restored something that, that Jesus had started way back in the day and – it was assumed by you, but I, I'm only speaking for myself. But yeah. the, now, to the church, how is the Baptist Church going to explain that that history? There are several different 
ways that people try to to do that. Some say that there needs to be a physical pedigree. And you might have heard of people talk about a trail of blood. You've heard of that? I've no. heard that, but I've also heard the yeah. golden thread yeah. that that weaves its way through history that these people have clinged on to the true faith. And it goes all the way back to Jesus or John the Baptist or wherever you 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 trace your you know your faith tradition to. But there's this sort of unwritten history in a golden thread of people that weave its way through this church yeah. that has sort of cropped up. And that wasn't me. Uh, the, the, the school of thought that I had subscribed to basically said that, well, there's not really a need to have a physical representation. What we were looking for, what we kind of held to was that a body, these body of beliefs that we hold to, that scripture is the prime authority, uh, the sole authority, that, that congregational government. And so... Uh, they would appeal and look back and try to find these beliefs. And you could find there are some people, you know, that, that would say, look, Scripture is authoritative. Well, yeah, Scripture is authoritative. But is it the only authority? I could never find anybody that said it's the only authority. And that was where I really started to have problems with being a Baptist. Because I, uh, these things that we were saying existed, these beliefs back then, I didn't find them. Mm-hmm. Well, a, did this stuff hit you like a ton of bricks? Yeah. Was it a lightning bolt or was it sort of a gradual process, uh, a gradual opening or the scales falling off your eyes over a period of time? There was a, there was a great weight being, being built, this momentum of, of the, the weight of belief. And then eventually just the last straw ended up actually being the Eucharist, not even authority, but ended up being the Eucharist. Where I just, hmm. Everybody back here believes in the Eucharist, and I don't. Hmm. And then the the whole wall just fell. As far as the, the, the Eucharist is concerned, I, you know, uh, I've heard so many different things about what people think that the early church fathers thought about the Eucharist. I've actually heard people say that, you know, that belief in the true presence of Christ didn't happen until the Middle Ages. You know, and of course, you read the early church fathers. You read Saint Ignatius. You read some of these guys. You know, from 100, 120, 150 A.D. talking about the true presence. Right, and the people that uh, Saint Polycarp wrote. Uh, my patron saint now, Saint Polycarp wrote about these people that were leaving the church. That well, they don't believe in that this bread and water become the body and blood of Christ. So they're not a part of this church. That's a hard saying there for a Southern Baptist for you at the time. And you're thinking, you look back and you go, I don't believe in the true presence so does that mean i'm not a member of the church polycarp would say that i wasn't you know they sat at the foot of uh, saint john the apostle yeah mm-hmm. when you decided it was time to become catholic mm-hmm. you know and, and you made that step and you made that formal pronouncement whether it was you know quiet or loudly or you resigned your position or whatever you did i mean how was that received well when i resigned my position i, I resigned the position uh, because of some other reasons i uh, there's a lot of more conversion going on in my life than just the, uh, the the academic aspect of trying to find this church, but also just the way that I, I ran my house and, and managed my family and take care of my wife and my children, I realized that I placed my work, my ministry job above them. And so really my, my resignation from the, from the pastorate was uh, just a shameful saying, look, I, I, my priorities are all out of whack. I can't stand here and try to teach you people while I'm neglecting my family. So I resigned and they then became to into the Catholic Church later. So, yeah, my, my resignation was different. Now, how they took the news, uh, most people thought that, that I'd lied about why I resigned. Well, but now you have the Catholic Cafe here as an opportunity to, to let people know that you, you did see an, uh, you know, a need in your life to redirect your priorities and, and put things in the proper perspective. 
uh, and then God allowed you maybe maybe with a little bit less stress and a little more of an open heart. You know, you were able then to more clearly see the truth as it was being presented to you. Exactly, and it gave me uh, being freed up from from not having to walk that covert life of, of trying to study uh, in a closet, so to speak, the Catholic Church. I could I could study it because I was working a secular job and I had more time to be able to, to devote to those things, and just I didn't have to hide any of that information. I could call priests up and set appointments and. It's a whole lot easier than sneaking around at night and trying to meet with priests under cover of darkness. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and so your uh, now your in laws are Catholic. In fact, uh, your father in law is a, a deacon, newly ordained for the diocese of Memphis. He was ordained in the same class I was ordained in. Uh, and so, what about your any of your your other family? Uh, your own mom and dad? I mean, where where are they in in all of this? Uh, my parents are still very much Southern Baptist. My, my father's a Southern Baptist pastor, and my, uh, my brother and his wife are Baptist. And uh, so really, I'm, I think I'm pretty much the only Catholic in, in my family. And uh, But my, my wife did come into the church with me, so so our house and our family, we are Catholic. And are our relationships okay? Or is- oh, yeah. Everything's fine. And the thing that I try to tell everybody was so look, you know, you know that I love Jesus, and you know that I want to be faithful to Jesus more than anything. And I believe that Jesus is leading me to the Catholic Church. You may have a, dif- a difference of belief, and you may not understand what I believe as a Catholic, and I'll be willing to tell you that if you want. But just understand that I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus. And I think everybody that that, that has a relationship with Jesus themselves understand that. Mm-hmm. And they may disagree with me, but at least they know that I'm trying to be faithful. Now, as we close, I do want to reiterate the great love and respect that that we as Catholics have for our separated brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we always want to approach this sometimes difficult topic of authority, as well as the the topic of unity, in a way that is never judgmental and always done respectfully. We we hope that we've accomplished that for you today. Andy, we thank you so much for coming and sharing your personal journey with us. You know, we offer you a hearty welcome home. And we hope that this program will serve as an opportunity for dialogue and as a witness to that wonderful search for truth that we all experience in life. Uh, I want to tell the folks at home listening to the Catholic Cafe today that Andy McNutt is available as a public speaker to come to your church or group to speak about this topic or, or any other Catholic topic. He's got a whole host of Catholic topics. If you're interested in contacting Andy, you can do so at his website, www.polycarpministries.com. That's www.polycarpministries.com. Now let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you call each of us by name and desire that every soul you lovingly created should come to live with you forever in heaven. Send your Spirit upon us and grant us the wisdom we need to clearly see your plan for our salvation. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.